So thank you for being a part of that. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to start this morning. And we are talking about the new covenant. And we are going through many aspects of the new covenant. It's very important that you understand this covenant. And it's more important that you are in it. Um, What we talked about first message was the blood of the new covenant. We understand that the old covenant was established by the blood of bulls and goats that could not take sin away. But God has instituted a new covenant through the blood of his own son who died for us once and for all that he might sanctify us forever through his own blood. He will never have to die again. He will never have to shed his blood again. What he did on the cross was done. It was final. The payment was in full. And we celebrate the blood of that new covenant. This blood is representative of Jesus Christ who has risen again from the dead and he lives to never die. Therefore, there'll never be another covenant. This is the everlasting covenant that God is desired to have with men. And then we've also looked at the cross of the new covenant, which is the altar of the new covenant. In the old covenant, there was an altar that was in the temple. And this is where only the priest could go in to serve God. The common people were not allowed into the tabernacle. They could only come to the gate. But the priest would go past that into the presence of God and at the altar. Hebrews tells us that we have an altar. And that altar is the cross of Jesus Christ. And those that do not come to God by Jesus Christ do not have a right to serve God at this altar. And so we celebrate the cross of Jesus Christ where the victory for our life was won, where Jesus defeated principalities and powers. And it is through the cross that Jesus has made us kings and priests unto God. And Jesus has given us access into his presence through the blood and through the cross that he has suffered on to give us atonement. And that is a beautiful thing. I pray that you understand it. You probably heard this all of your life, but you would be amazed at the number of Christians who do not understand the new covenant or the new covenant altar. And so I just I just encourage you in that. Um, and now we're talking about the life of the new covenant. And this is our third part in the life of the new covenant. And we'll probably uh, finish with this today. But the life of the new covenant very simply is the Holy Spirit. And we want you to see this in Romans chapter 8. It says, there is therefore now... No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And so verse 2 says, it is the law of the spirit of life. And so the Holy Spirit is the life of the new covenant. And whoever does not have the Holy Spirit is not in the new covenant. They are not participating in it. They will not receive the benefits of the new covenant. You can agree with the new covenant. You can even confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But if you have not the spirit of Christ, you do not belong to God and you are not in this new covenant. And if you will see something that I think is very important, he tells us in verse four 
that the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us by the Holy Spirit. And so if you're really living in the Spirit and the Spirit of God is living in you, there is a transformation in your life. There is a provoking of the Spirit. You're not the one who dictates anymore what happens, but the Spirit of God does dictate in your life what is to happen. And what He is going after is to fulfill the righteousness of the law, which in your flesh and in my flesh I could not fulfill. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 that we were all born of a fallen man, the man Adam. We were all born of him, and it is his life that was in us. And we lived by the life of Adam. And you don't have to teach a baby how to do wrong. You have to teach a baby how to do right. Because the life of Adam is a life of rebellion. It is a life of corruption and a life of sin. And so there is no son or child of Adam that can fulfill the demands of God. They may try, but they will fall short of what God wants. That is why Jesus was born of a virgin and he was not born from the male seed, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a woman. And he was fully God and fully man, but he was without sin and he was without the nature of the fallen Adam. The Bible calls him the last Adam. And as you were born the first time in the nature of the fallen Adam, you must be born again in the nature of Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus said you must be born again. And when you're born again, it is his life, his spirit that comes into you. And you live by this life. You don't live like you used to live. You don't live by an outward code of rules and regulations on how you can now try to please God by being religious. But now God comes and writes it into your spirit and upon your heart by the Spirit of God. And something is at work inside of you, changing you and transforming you. That's why you go to prayer meetings that you would never go to before in your life. Because the Spirit of God is at work in you. That's why things are happening in your life and ministry is happening in your life that you are not qualified to do because the Spirit of God is working in your life. If you've embraced a creed that has done nothing for your life, very little for your life, very little for the righteousness of the law, then you need to really be concerned with the fact, am I really in the new covenant? Or is it just a belief that I have, but I've had no real exchanging of life? Because what we're talking about now, by the life of the new covenant, we are sanctified. Sanctified means to be made holy. And holy means to be separated unto something. And so before we were Christians, we were holy. We were holy sinners. We were separated unto sin. And we were the slaves of sin. But when we were born again, we became holy and separated unto God. And we are holy the Lord's. And so now the Holy Spirit is making us like Christ. Isn't that wonderful? The church is not making you like Christ. Your prayer partners are not making you like Christ. But the Holy Spirit is making you like Christ. And this is what sanctification is. And so we talk about the life of the Holy Spirit, the life of the new covenant. We have to talk about our life of sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. And so I want you to understand that we have a new teacher now. This is the way we become holy. So sanctification would basically be this. 
It is the education or the learning how to live by the life of my new parent. That's what sanctification is. It's learning to live by the life of the Holy Spirit who is in me and with me. And that is an education. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that if we are truly the children of God and we are straying from the Lord or we are doing things that are not pleasing to God, that our heavenly father will correct us and he will chasten us, not with the law as a judge condemning us, but as a father correcting us so that we can be a partaker of his holiness. I want you to understand that. And so we're going to look at a lot of scripture right now, primarily in the New Testament. Titus chapter 2 is where I want to go first. And I want you to see that we have a new teacher. And our new teacher is not Moses and it's not the law that was engraved in stone. But our new teacher is grace. And grace is the influence of God in our hearts and in our spirit. And the Bible says in verse 11 of Titus 2, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope, which is the rapture. So don't let anybody ever say, well, I can't, I can't be a Christian. I can't be good enough. I can't live like Christians live and all this holy stuff. Yes, you can. Because the only way anybody can live the Christian life is by the grace of God. And the grace of God is more powerful than you. And the grace of God can change you. And the grace of God can sanctify you. And the grace of God can teach you. What happens is you you oftentimes get put into a church and there's religious people around there who want to put their own regulations on you. And they frustrate you as you're trying to walk with God because they want you to walk like them. And it frustrates you as you're trying to live like Jesus because they want you to live like them. As though they're the standard of what Christ is. But the Holy Spirit wants to make you like Jesus. And the way he does it is is he does it through his grace. And he teaches you how to live by his grace. He teaches you how to deny ungodliness. He teaches you how to deny worldly lust. He teaches you how to live soberly and righteously. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Now, you don't have this if you're not in the new covenant. But if you're in the new covenant, this is the power that is working in your life. And the grace of God is simply the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what the grace of God is, the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so, if you will, in Romans chapter 6, we came to this partially a couple of weeks ago. But I want you to see this, if you will, in verse 11 of of Romans 6. It says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield your members to God, for you're alive from the dead. Sin, verse 14, shall not have dominion over you, because you're not under the law, but under grace. If you try to live by the law, sin is going to have dominion over your life. 
Sin is going to do it. If you want to start lusting about food, go on a diet. Make a law that you can't eat this, you can't eat that, can't eat sugars, you can't eat carbs, and that's all you're going to think about is when you can get your next sugar rush, right? You bring the law into anything, and it's just going to intensify the very thing you're trying to deny yourself of. Well, the Bible says all things are lawful for me, but not everything's expedient. Wow, there's so many truths that we just need to learn in our Christian life and in our sanctification that we have this. But he says, reckon yourselves dead. Well, I hear Christians say all the time, I I just need to die. I just need to die. I'm trying to die. Now, those of you that are not Christians, we're not suicidal. We're, We're talking about dying to ourself, dying to our flesh, man, dying to our lust. And we're just saying, I just need to die. Well, that's very sad to not understand that you have died with Christ. And if you don't believe that you've already died with Jesus Christ, then you're still trying to die a death that's already been accomplished. And therefore, you're trying to put yourself to death. Instead of being able to live, you're trying to die when the Bible's trying to get us to live. To live by a new life. And so it's so important that we reckon ourselves dead. Reckoning is an accounting term. And I gave you this illustration. If I, if I took a dollar bill and put it into my pocket, then I would walk around reckoning I have a dollar in my pocket. That is a correct reckoning because I know I put a dollar there. And so I know it's in there. But if I put a dollar in my pocket and I walk around reckoning that I have $10 in my pocket, then that is false reckoning. I didn't put $10 in there. I put a dollar in there and I reach into my pocket and I think there's 10 and there's still just one. And then I get so disappointed. Well, I thought I had 10. I was reckoning it to be 10. And and that is the problem with a lot of people who are undergoing sanctification. They have faulty reckoning. And what I want to do is I want to take you through for just a few minutes this morning the correct reckoning that we need to have In our process of sanctification and living the life of the new covenant. Living with the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to give you these. Number one, reckon that you are dead. Reckon that because you are. It is a fact. You remember what I told you a few weeks ago? I said, how do you know that two thieves died next to Jesus? How do you know that? You weren't there. You didn't see it. How do you know it? Well, you know it because it's written in the Bible. You know it because it's been told to you historically and through the word of God. So you say two thieves died next to Jesus when he died on the cross. And you say that and you will defend that because you believe that because it's written. But yet there are so many who will not believe that they have died. When the Bible tells you, even in Romans 6, so clearly that you have been crucified with him. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, I'm crucified with him. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but the life that I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I died. Paul wasn't there at, at the crucifixion of Jesus. But he said, I was crucified with him and I died with him. Y'all, this is so elementary, but it is so necessary in in coming into the victorious Christian life of knowing that I have died with Jesus. You must know that. 
You must know it. Yes, you take up your cross every day and follow the Lord. That's the denial of your will for the will of God. But as far as the death of your sinful life, the judgment of your sinful life, that has happened. God's not going to judge you again. God's not going to bring you into condemnation. God's not going to put you under his wrath. He's going to chasten you like a loving father so that we will partake of his holiness. And so you have to reckon yourself to be dead. Number two, you have to reckon that you are not perfect yet. You're not perfect yet. And I'm talking about as we walk through this life. But a lot of Christians reckon on perfection. And they get so disappointed. Remember what disappointment is. Disappointment is you thought better of yourself. That's what disappointment is. You're not going to be disappointed with God, but you get disappointed with yourself because you thought, well, I thought I was better. I thought I'd never do that. I went in an altar and prayed and confessed to God and told him I'd never do it again. And I did it again. Well, the spirit of God will never do it. But in our flesh, we'll end up doing it. We have to learn to walk in the spirit of God. So you have to reckon that you're not perfect. A few scriptures. Philippians chapter 3. I want you to read this with me. In Philippians chapter 3, this is Paul again giving his testimony. And he says in, in verse 9, I want to be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus." And so Paul is making these two statements. Number one, Jesus has apprehended me for something, and I am pursuing that. What he's apprehended me for, I'm apprehending myself, but I'm not yet perfect, but I'm pressing on. In Ephesians chapter 2, a beautiful testimony here, beginning in verse 7, it says, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I'm going to read another passage of Scripture that will also explain that we're not perfect yet, but I also want to use it as my third point of reckoning. You need to reckon that sin can still be active in your life. You need to reckon on that. Because sometimes Christians give up because they fail. Sometimes believers become unbelievers because they give up. They think, well... I'll never be different. I'll never change. I keep falling into the same things over and over and over again. I must not be saved. God must not have the power to save me. And so you need to reckon correctly that sin can still be active in my life. I'm not perfect and sin can still be active in my life. Romans chapter 6. Going back to this and 
I think it's healthy for you to read it with me. He tells us in verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Because he wouldn't tell us this if it were impossible. He's telling us because it's possible for believers to allow sin to reign. Where? Where? In their mortal body. Not in your new man. Sin's not going to reign in your new man. That's why Paul can go into Romans chapter 7 and say, It's no longer I that do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. Only a born-again person can say something like that. And so he says in verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of unrighteousness are as righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, it's not just the fact that you're free from law. It's the fact that you're under grace. And being under grace is not a loosened standard. Actually, it's a more difficult standard as far as the flesh is concerned. Because the law says, listen... Don't murder. But grace says, don't hate anybody in your heart. And the law says, don't commit adultery. But grace says, don't lust after another woman or another man in your heart. So the, the being under grace does not loosen the demands. But being under grace provides for us a supernatural power of life, which is the Holy Spirit, who is far more interested in the transformation of your heart and your mind rather than just the submission of your mortal body to principles and regulations. Do you understand that? And so you have to understand that I must reckon the fact that I can allow sin to reign. You as a believer, you could begin to go into a season of sin. You, 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 could, you could begin to do things. You're yielding your mortal body to, to yield to these sinful things or sinful lust or sinful behaviors. You can allow yourself. But if you are born again, if you truly God, if you're in the grace of God, then there is provision for you to shut that off. You can leave it. You can run from it. You can be free from it by the grace of God. But grace has to do it. And you cooperate with grace. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I am what I am by the grace of God. And his grace was not given to me in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they're all. We have Christians all over America who are laboring in vain, or the grace of God has been given to them in vain. They do nothing with it. They do nothing with it. We do our religious calisthenics, and we have no absolute desperation from God on a day-to-day basis to walk in the Holy Spirit and to have his help. But you have to. You have to be under the grace of God. The fourth Reckoning is that, as, as, as I was saying, reckon that sin can be allowed to reign and reckon that sin can still be active. And that would be the fourth point. And then the fifth one would be this, reckon upon the future promise that God has given you in this new covenant by the Holy Spirit. Reckon upon the future promise by the Holy Ghost. Romans 6, and I want you to read this with me, verse 7 through 10, because this is our hope and this is our promise. If we understand that I am dead with Christ, if we understand that I'm not perfect, 
Now, I have been justified, glorified, sanctified. That's done. If I was to die, I'm going right to heaven in God's presence. I'm not going to purgatory first. What Jesus did for me was perfect. I am as holy as anybody in heaven because of the holiness of Jesus Christ. But as far as my members are concerned, I'm in a battle with my mortal body, with my members, or this man that has died. I'm in a battle with a dead man, and I can walk in the Spirit of God and be free from him. But I strive and I wrestle oftentimes with this. But Galatians 5 says, if I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so these are the things that go on and that I battle with. But if I realize I'm not perfect, I realize that sin can be active in my life. I can realize that sin can even try to reign in my mortal members in my life. Then I cannot get depressed by looking at myself as a Christian. And I cannot get depressed by judging me by looking at you. You who are so much better than me. That would make me depressed. So what do I do? I have to look at Jesus. I have to look at the very real promise of this new covenant life. And the very real promise of this new covenant life is, I shall be like him. And all of these things that I struggle with in this life, all of the things that I might struggle with and go to altars to repent. You see, people that are standing in these altars are not standing there because they're they're perfect. They're standing because they know they're not. They need God and they know everybody in this house needs God. And it's that hope that God is going to perfect that which concerns me. So he says this in Romans 6, 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ... We believe, this is a promise that we're believing for. We believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. Beautiful. For in that he died, he died to sin once. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. Well, what does that have to do with me? Everything. Because I'm in Christ. So everything that's true of the man Christ is true of me. If I died with him, I live with him. And I live unto God. And I hope in this. I want to take you through some scriptures for you to see this. And, and, and please just go with me in this because they're beautiful. In Galatians chapter 2. He tells us in verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now some of the newer translations say I live by faith in the Son of God. That's That's not accurate. I live by the faith of Of the Son of God. What does that mean? It means this. That Jesus believes. He can present me before his father holy. And I live trusting him to do that. I live by the faith of the Son of God. He believes he can do it. I believe that he can. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 5. He tells us this. For we through the spirit. Wait. For the hope of righteousness by faith. 
What does that mean? It means that while we're walking through this life, battling the things that we battle with, coming face to face with the reality that I'm not perfect, As a Christian and as a believer, wanting to be free from sin and the struggles with sin and my own lust, yet having to be confronted with my lust every single day of my life in this struggle to take up my cross and follow the Lord every day. I have this hope in the Spirit of God that I am waiting for that righteousness which is coming to me by faith. I'm going to be like Him. I'm not like him now, but I'm going to be like him. And that spirit of God, the spirit of life of the new covenant gives me that hope. In Romans chapter 5, we are taught this in verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our peace with God is through Jesus Christ. And the only reason you have that peace is because you have faith. Not because you have merited it. Not even after you became a Christian, you've lived this noble Christian life. No, you have faith. You have faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And that justifies you and gives you peace with God. And such blessed Blessed peace. In verse 21 of chapter 5, it says, As sin is reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. So sin is bringing me somewhere, right? Every person that's lost, sin is bringing them somewhere, right? Where is it bringing them? It's bringing them to death. Eventually, they're going to die in every way. They're going to die body, soul, and spirit. In death. And sin is bringing them there, but it doesn't look like it all the time. It doesn't seem like it all the time, but that's where they're going. Likewise, now that we're in the new covenant, grace is reigning over our life. Sin's not reigning over me, grace is reigning over me. And where is grace taking me? To righteousness, eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. That is going to happen to me. I'm going to see him as he is, and I'm going to be like him. Blessed, blessed hope. Philippians chapter 3, where we were, we read it, and Paul's talking about this, and he's talking about just the blessed hope of the church and the coming of Jesus Christ. But in in Philippians chapter 3, he makes some comments. He says this in verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark or the goal for the prize of the high calling, the upward call, which is the rapture, the rapture of God in Christ Jesus. And he talks about this perfection. That word means maturity. It doesn't mean that he has no faults in his life or anything of that nature. And then he goes to verse 20 and he says, Our conversation is in heaven from where also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is the conclusion of this struggle that he's in in Philippians. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And so here's Paul at the conclusion of Philippians chapter 3, confessing, I have a vile body. 
This body is vile. This body is corrupt. This body is sinful. This body goes, but it's dead. And I'm not under its dominion anymore. And it doesn't reign in me anymore. I'm under grace. And I've got the promise and the hope of the Holy Spirit that when he appears, I shall see him as he is. And I shall be like him. And he's going to give me a new body. And he's going to give me a glorified body. And there's not going to be any struggle anymore with sin or unrighteousness. No lust, no temptations ever again in my life. And Paul said, that's what's coming. And because that's coming, I'm not looking at my constant failures. I'm not looking at myself, how I need to do better. I'm looking at Jesus Christ, and I'm agreeing with him about everything in my life. When Jesus says to me, you shouldn't have that drink. You shouldn't look at pornography. You shouldn't lose your temper. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't steal. You should be honest with people. My heart says to you, yes, Lord, you're right, Lord. I expose this to you, God. And God, by his grace and his spirit, will change me. And if I fall a thousand times, I will look to him a thousand times and say, you can do it. You can present me to your father, holy and righteous and glorified. You can do it, but you have to have the spirit of God in you. It's not a wishful thing. Grace is real. Grace is powerful. It's a changed and a transformed life. If the only thing that's changed about you is going to church, you need to have some serious things because lost people do that. But what is the change of your life? The grace of God in your life. The spirit of God that's living in your life. So we live this life by grace through faith. By grace through faith. And faith is not dead. It is alive. Any faith that is not active, producing something, going after God is a dead faith, James says. You believe in God, you do well. So do the devils. So big deal. I'll show you my faith by my works. And faith testifies of its reality because there are works that are going on there. Good works. You see, there are dead works. Dead works are things that are done in your flesh and not by faith. There are good works. Good works are things that are done by faith. And you're trusting in God in it. But as beautiful as this new covenant is, you can leave it. Even if you've been in it. You can leave it. This is not Calvinism. This demands a life of faith and that you continue in the faith. And you can come into this new covenant and you can be partakers of his blood and of his spirit. Have the power of his cross even work in your life. And there could come a point in your life where you no longer trust in the new covenant. You no longer trust in Jesus Christ. And this was the dilemma of the Galatians, and I want you to read with there's many scriptures. I've, I've done a lesson through Hebrews 6 through 10 about this, but for the sake of time, just Galatians, if you will, run with me through this. We're just going to be here and finish. But in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ. That we might be justified by the faith of Christ. So how are you going to be justified? By believing. And not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. 
Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if, and this is the being found a sinner, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. And he talked about being crucified with Christ. And so he says, if you go back and rebuild what you destroyed, all the while trying to seek to be justified by Christ, and you go back and you build this life of works to gain your acceptance of God, then in the end you will be lost in it all. He goes on to explain this. Chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only what I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. For the law is not faith. But the man that does them, he shall live in them. If you want to be under the law, you're under them all. You break one, you break them all. And you're under its wrath and its condemnation. Praise God, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Why did he do this? So the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Verse 27 says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? There were people that really wanted to be under the law. Listen, there, there are people at the church at Galatia, they didn't just want to be under the law, they desired to be under the law. And he's asking them, do you hear the law? Hear what it says? You understand? And so this is the this is the problem. If you do, and because he's writing to the church at Galatia, these are Christians, these are believers that he led to the Lord. And so what basically happened to these people was they were saved through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul preached to them. They believed in the Lord, they trusted in the Lord, they were set free, they were made new, and then when Paul left, Judaizers, lawyers came in and told these guys, if you really want to be holy, Jesus is great, 
But if you really want to be holy, you got to keep the law too. You got to do these things. Paul's saying, How'd you let them bewitch you? This is not good. You see, falling away from the faith is, is dangerous in this regard. It's not because a person lost their temper or said a curse word. Falling away from the faith is to be able to say, You know what? I don't think grace is enough. I believe God needs my help. And so he says in chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That's the law. Behold, I, Paul, say to you, that if you be circumcised, going back under the law, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect to you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. That's very serious. And so, what a beautiful gospel is ours. That it is not of yourself. It is of the Lord. Of the Lord's mercies, the Lord's power, the Lord's spirit, the Lord's blood, the Lord's cross. The Lord's death, the Lord's resurrection, the Lord's coming again. It's all the Lord's. And we believe that. And that belief is very aggressive to hope and to trust in Jesus Christ. So when you're disappointed in yourself, get your eyes on Jesus, agree with him about the lust of yourself that's no good, agree with him, but believe. Jesus, Galatians 2.20, I believe you can do this in me. I believe you can conquer death. And I'm trusting you to do it. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name today. We give you the glory and the honor. We thank you for the gift of life, the life of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that it is by your grace, through faith, that we are to live our life, trusting and relying upon the Holy Spirit, learning through the education, the teaching of grace, how to live by the life of Jesus Christ. Father, may we not entertain the effects of the law, but may we listen to the teacher of grace, the Holy Spirit in our life to give us victory now and hereafter. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord.